and welcome to another Thursday evening. I do apologize for not being there last week. Um, was feeling a little under the weather and so it wasn't exactly the best time for me to um, speak with you all. But this week I'm back. We're back in action and we are back on our list of the badass women of history. Um, I genuinely have always looked up to this particular person in history. Um, we are going to talk tonight about Cleopatra. Now, when I was growing up, I was mildly <laughs> obsessed with Egypt and anything Egyptian. I would mummify my Barbies with toilet paper. I would pretend that little jars were um, oh, filled with their little organs. Canto the Oh gosh, I knew the word before I tried to say it. Canopic jars, ha. And I would um, be allowed from my father, uh, once in a while we'd go to a bookstore, Barnes and Nobles or Borders or any of the other ones in town, wherever we happened to live at the time. And he'd let me pick out any book. And so two of those times I got big textbooks on Egypt. I still have them. They're incredible. Um, I referenced them for a while. I was trying to learn how to write and read hieroglyphics, um, which is quite a bit harder than it seems uh, because a lot of the birds look very similar. So it's kind of difficult, but um, it's a very interesting written language, one of the earliest written languages. And um, it, it's quite difficult to read, but um, so I also grew up watching old Sand and Sandals epic movies, um, things like Spartacus and Ben-Hur and the movie Cleopatra that had, oh gosh, I want to say it was Elizabeth Taylor as Cleopatra with her beautiful black hair and her blue-ish purple eyes. Gosh, I wanted to be her so badly. Um, it's actually one of the most expensive movies ever made, even to this day. Um, the amount of production that went into that movie, the amount of just pomp and circumstance and the um, level of attention to detail that they put in that movie. Now, mind you, it's extremely historically inaccurate in a lot of different ways, especially and most notably when they're walking Cleopatra into Rome, the um, archway that she goes under had not even been built at that time. It was built to celebrate someone that wasn't even alive at that point. So some things were inaccurate, but, and especially the fact that, well, you know, Elizabeth Taylor's is as pale as I am. So, 
she definitely couldn't have looked like Cleopatra, who was, in fact, Greek. Um, so, so many things weren't correct with the movie, but you have to understand that movie was made in the 60s. And it, to this day, is still upon my list of movies I can watch anytime and not be bored with. Um, to me, it's an epic right up there with Gone with the Wind. Like, it's a very good movie that I would definitely recommend at any time. That also, I understand, has a lot of problems with it. Um, but the costumes and everything was so bright and vibrant. And so I always wanted to be like her. I always wanted to know about her. And so I dove headfirst into anything to do with Cleopatra. And so I have always truly admired her, like I said. And so some of the main key things that I admire about her is that one, she was extremely intelligent. The woman could speak at least a dozen languages, if not more. Um, she ruled from a young age. Um, granted, she had to do things that were in today's age. We would find them distasteful, but at the time, completely acceptable in order to rule and do what she had to do. Um, it is also said that Cleopatra could seduce a man at 10 paces. Now, that phrase refers to the fact that not only was she beautiful, although she was not classically beautiful the way people think of now, and she did not look anything like Elizabeth Taylor, she was Greek. She had a large nose. She had very pronounced features. Um, she had beautiful eyes. But she also was extremely intelligent. She exuded intelligence. She studied mathematics and astrology and languages, and she just was very well learned, especially at that time. Women weren't trained the way men were. They weren't taught what men were taught. And so for her to have that level of knowledge and accomplishment under her belt was alluring. Um, she also had one of the longest longest periods of prosperity under her rule. Um, not the longest, that still goes to Ramesses the Great or Ramesses the Second. Um, same person, just different ways of calling him. Um, but she did have one of the longer ruling periods of peace and prosperity for her people. Um, she was not beloved at first, but she became one of the most beloved um, pharaohs of Egypt and she also was officially the last true ruler of Egypt. Um, so and to get into some things with her and her family, um, Cleopatra was a Ptolemy. The Ptolemies find themselves back to, I want to say it was Ptolemy Soter the first, who actually was a general for Alexander the Great. Uh, when Alexander the Great came and conquered the majority of the known world at that time, um, he would leave trusted generals in charge when he would move on from one place to the next. And when he did this, they would then found their own dynasties and would um, 
then rule and do so under the blessing of Alexander himself, even after his death, because these people were people that he had trusted and that were good at what they did. So Ptolemy Soter I ended up being the first Ptolemaic pharaoh of Egypt. Mind you, at that time, Egypt was not as vast as it once was. At its heyday, Egypt was the majority of Northern Africa, um, middle, the Middle East, and up into um, some of Asia and Greece. And that's just because of how far that they originally had spread. Um, a lot of the ancient civilizations saw their calling as to basically conquer as much as possible and spread their ideal as much as possible. And so, mind you, this was not during that time. Alexander the Great was Macedonian, and he, as I said, conquered most of the known world, and in doing so, blurred all those lines together. And so, Ptolemy founded his dynasty, and he began to piece back together what of Egypt there was. It was more than what is modern-day Egypt. Egypt, basically, at this time, was Upper and Lower Egypt, which spanned all the way down to Ethiopia, at some points a little bit further north than that. Um, but typically, Lower Egypt, or no, excuse me, Upper Egypt, was down all the way to Ethiopia because it spanned the entirety of the Nile River. Um, the reason why Upper Egypt is considered Upper Egypt is elevation. The Nile River is one of those rivers that actually runs south to north um, versus north to south. It's one of only a few rivers in the world that do so. And it flows into the Mediterranean. And so it's very rich and luscious uh, land around the Nile, especially at the Delta, um, leads for a lot of um, farming and the ability to civilize that area because of that rich land. And so it was a very good and prosperous area for the Ptolemies to settle down in and to begin to rule. Now, mind you, um, Ptolemy, what was it, Philomea, I believe, was... Um, Cleopatra's father, I, I don't think I said that right, Philopater, excuse me, was her father. Um, her mother was also a Cleopatra, and um, she was born in, I want to say, 69 BC, and she ruled until 30 BC. So mind you, this is far before any kind of, you know, modern anything um, but essentially at this time she at this time Rome had basically taken over as the main superpower in the world and Rome would do similar to what Alexander the Great did because where else did they get their idea from but from someone who did it before and so what they got was they would take over areas and essentially if the government was strong and decided, hey, we're going to, you know, we're going to pay you taxes and what have you, we'll be essentially a self-governing city-state and 
you can stay in your place and we'll keep our sovereignty so long as we pay you taxes and dues. And so there were several countries that did that with Rome so that they could keep their own their own, you know, anonymity and their own, that's not the right word, um, to keep their own selves and to not be run completely by Rome. And so that's what Egypt had done. And so Rome did technically have um, Egypt as kind of a city-state, almost like a... They were... They weren't controlled by Rome, but they were indebted to them, basically. And during Cleopatra's early life... Oh, she wasn't born in 69. Excuse me. I'm not sure exactly when she was born. Um, but she was ruling from 69 to 30. Um, essentially, what happened is when she was young, her father took her to Greece and she basically stayed with him for quite some time because there was a civil war led by her older sister. Um, her sister, Berenice, tried to claim the throne and she basically was killed in 55 BC and um, Ptolemy Philopater came back to Egypt and he basically, he died not long after in 51 BC. And so Cleopatra re reigned with her brother Ptolemy the 13th and essentially they were married. So Cleopatra, ended up having to marry both of her brothers. Both of her brothers ended up dying in horrible ways, eventually. Um, and we'll get to that in a little bit. But Egyptians and a lot of mon monarchies, um, they would essentially inbreed. Um, they would intermarry within their families to keep their bloodlines pure. And Egyptians had been doing that for centuries. They had been doing it since the dawn of Egyptian um, monarchy because they felt that they were divine. And to keep that divinity going, they would intermarry within their family, whether it be brother and sister, father and daughter, mother and son, or cousins. Mind you, sometimes you would find um, some not so pleasant examples of that, namely Akhenaten and King Tut, who was originally Aken, uh, no, it was Akhenaten and Nefertiti's son. Um, Akhenaten was originally Akhenamen, and Nefertiti was always Nefertiti. Um, but King Tut, Tutankhamen, was originally named Tutankhaten, and he had many different, um, health issues, a cleft palate, a club foot, uh, and his father had similar issues as well because Akhenaten and his wife Nefertiti, they were brother and sister. Now, Nefertiti was considered by many to be the most beautiful woman in the world, and you still see her bust as the most beautiful bust that you'd ever seen. Everyone has seen her bust. It has um, a blue hat that's kind of flat on top and this gorgeous, beautiful woman that's striking. And I don't know how she ended up so perfect while her brother slash husband ended up with a pot belly and a messed up face and um, 
just basically an all-around kind of gross-looking guy. And their parents were siblings, and their parents were siblings, and their parents were siblings. So incest is not the way to go, but this is how Egyptians and a lot of monarchies kept the bloodlines pure. So Cleopatra ended up having to marry her brother in order to gain access to the throne. At this time, the Romans were having their own squabbles. And essentially, Julius Caesar and Pompey, um, who is one of the generals in Rome, basically um, were not at the best of terms with each other. And um, Cleopatra's brother decided he was going to kill Pompey and give the head to Julius Caesar when he arrived in Egypt. This was not a very good idea because while Julius Caesar was, of course, not so happy with Pompey, Pompey was still a Roman general. And so, of course, that couldn't go unpunished. Um, now, hmm, mind you, Ptolemy, of course, was in hiding at this time and he basically did this to gain favor with, with Julius Caesar and it didn't work. At this time as well, Cleopatra was trying to gain her own favor with Caesar. And so there are different stories of how this happened, but it is said that she snuck into where he was staying. Now, the most popular story is that she rolled herself into a rug and had the rug delivered to him. And as the rug was delivered, it was shaken out and out she came, dressed in a beautiful gown and looking like a goddess. Now, Cleopatra thought of herself as being divine and being the divine form of the goddess Isis, which was in Egyptian mythology. She was a, a mother deity, a fertility deity, um, an all-around feminine goddess that would be um, a good goddess for her to show as, as for being fertility, sexual, um, for standing by her husband. She, she was a wife. She was the wife of Osiris, who gave birth to Horus after Osiris had been torn to pieces. Um, a very, very powerful goddess, and so Cleopatra associated herself with Isis, and as she came out of this rug, she shows up in all of her finery looking like Isis, and she stunned Julius Caesar, who, see, who according to sources, practically fell in love at first sight. They, of course, started a, an affair, Julius Caesar being married, of course, and, of course, Cleopatra being married as well, um, they started an affair, and as things went on, Cleopatra eventually moved to Rome with Julius Caesar. And so she lived there while she gave birth to their son, Caesarian. Um, that's where um, the term Caesarian section actually comes from, C-section for women. Um, it is said, although it's not... Um, it's, it's not proven that someone in Caesar's line um, had to be born that way. 
not necessarily Caesarian himself from Cleopatra, but some people had to, someone in his line had to have been born that way. Caesarian means little Caesar, not the pizza company. Um, but essentially that means little Caesar. Or if you are going to say it in Latin, it'd be Kaiser. Because um, the way things are pronounced properly, Julius Caesar would have been Julius Kaiser because they don't pronounce their J's, it's an I sound. Um, but to get back on the point, she gave birth to their son, who was basically called Caesarian. And they stayed in Rome for quite some time. And she was actually there at the time that Julius Caesar was killed on the Ides of March. Um, she fled Rome at that same time with her son and her sister Bernice was killed at that same time. Um, some say in the orders of Cleopatra herself, her brother and husband was also killed at that time. Um, we don't know if it was due to infighting. We don't know if it was due to, because he was fighting a war, um, trying to gain back control for the throne from his sisters and brother. Um, but many people think that Cleopatra had a hand in it. So Cleopatra went back to Egypt and became a joint ruler with her son, Caesarian, who was viewed by many as the true ruler of Egypt because not only is he the son of Cleopatra, but he is also the son of Julius Caesar, who, of course, was emperor of Rome at that time that he died. And so being a um, citizen state of Rome, basically people viewed that as double divinity. And so he being an infant, Cleopatra became basically regent and co-ruler. And so she began to develop the education within Egypt and to make advancements in technology so that people could grow more food and use some of the technology from Rome, much like an aqueduct, to make it easier for people to grow food and become more prosperous, um, which is very good for them because things were not so great. It had been drought. It had been very drought-ridden few years, which with Egyptian mythology and kind of ideology, if you were having a drought, that means that the divinity of your ruler is at risk. They think that the gods no longer look favorably on that rule. And so now that Cleopatra was coming back into power, and she was not looked on very favorably at this time, when she eventually came back to Rome and started making all these changes, that turned around. People started to truly love her and see her as this great um, ruler who can make innovations and so brought prosperity to her people. And in doing so, she made things much better for even the little person and brought education to those who would not have normally have done so. Now, after Julius Caesar died, three people um, basically were trying to get the throne. Um, Mark Antony being one of them. The throne eventually went to um, Julius Caesar's young nephew, um, Octavian, who eventually changed his name to Caesar as well. 
And Mark Antony was a general with the Roman armies. He was a very influential person. He was a confidant of Julius Caesar himself as well as Octavian. And so essentially, over time, he called Cleopatra to himself because he wanted to basically discuss with her um, treaties and terms. Um, he also had heard about her exotic beauty, about her um, intelligence, and so he called her to him. Now, Cleopatra was never one to do something the easy way. She bedecked, and this was told in different stories, um, she bedecked her boat out in gold and gauze, and she appeared to Mark Antony as Isis herself. She wore the raiments of a goddess, and she had festivals and partying on the boat, and Mark Antony himself identified himself with Dionysus, Dionysus being the god of excess and wine and um, basically all things truly human. So her coming to him as Isis and he being the embodiment of Dionysus, this was a match made to them in the heavens. Two people who loved to drink and to party and to live in excess. And so they immediately fell in love. And Mark Antony was swept up under her spell. And they eventually had a child. And Mark Antony came back with Cleopatra to rule in Egypt. They then had a set of twins. They also founded a drinking company. Um, let me see if I can't remember what their drinking company was called. Um, one moment. They had a drinking company, and it was a drinking club, excuse me. It was called the Inmitable Livers. And essentially what they did is they engaged in nightly feasts and wine binges. And sometimes they would take place in, like, contests. And one of the things that Antony and Cleopatra really loved to do, especially if they'd been to their um, club, was to disguise themselves and wander about Alexandria, which was at the time the capital of Egypt, and just play pranks on people and just be, quite frankly, normal people. And under their rule, Egypt continued to prosper. Problem is, is that... Back home in Rome, people were starting to think that uh, Mark Antony was going to rise up against Octavius. And while Mark Antony and Octavius were friends and were confidants with each other, they started to kind of have a falling out. Um, Octavius asked Mark Antony to marry his younger sister i believe it was his sister or cousin and so mark antony did and he moved back to rome mind you he already had been married and he was married to cleopatra so mark antony was quite a ladies man and so he took octavius's sister or niece or cousin i can't remember which um as a bride and then he got a, a message from 
Cleopatra. And he then leaves his wife, Octavia, and goes back to Cleopatra. This is when they have their twins. And so, of course, this is seen as a huge um, insult, a slap in the face to the new emperor of Rome, Octavius, and he takes it very personally. So he starts a campaign against Egypt because he is of the opinion that Mark Antony is now going to plot with the queen of Egypt, Cleopatra, to take over Rome and get other lands that, quite frankly, Mark Antony had promised to Cleopatra. Um, he needed funding for his different campaigns, and Cleopatra, being the queen of a very prosperous country, was more than happy to fund his campaigns, provided that he give her back what used to belong to Egypt. And of course, being smitten, he agreed immediately. So Octavi Octavius saw this as a threat and immediately declared that he was going to fight and defeat them. So of course, Cleopatra and Antony decide that they're going to meet them in a battle on the sea. And they take their ships and they go to fight and they are decimated. Antony is quite frankly defeated, embarrassingly so. And Cleopatra turns and leaves. She didn't stay for the rest of the fight. She and her ships immediately turn around and leave as soon as they see that the battle cannot be won. They flee back to Alexandria. Mark Antony flees and goes into hiding. At this point, he hears that Cleopatra is dead. Now, Antony and Cleopatra are a love for the ages. Shakespeare even wrote a play about them. Their story is meant to be one of those that truly inspires love stories. And it also inspired Romeo and Juliet in that when Mark Antony heard that Cleopatra was dead, he fell upon his own sword. He stabbed himself because he couldn't live in a world without the woman he loved. That, of course, was not true. He had been told that in error when Cleopatra got back to Alexandria. She brought her children to herself, and of course, Octavian, being Octavian, immediately started following her and was coming for her. When she got word that Mark Antony had died, she lost it. She locked herself away with her maids and ladies-in-waiting, and of course, Octavius is now storming the gates of Alexandria. He's coming for her. He's going to take Egypt with or without her. He doesn't care. But if he takes Egypt with her and she is alive, he would have paraded her in Rome as spoils of war. He would have embarrassed her. He would have treated her like a prisoner or a slave because at that time, that's what they did. And so Cleopatra then devastated by the loss of her dear husband, Mark Antony, and devastated by the loss of her beloved country, she then killed herself. Now, there's a couple different ways that people think she would have done this. Um, the most common story is that she allowed an asp to kill her. Um, Egyptian asp is a very, very venomous snake. Um, one bite, if not treated properly, will kill you in a matter of hours or minutes. Um, it depends on, you know, 
how much venom you get from the bite, and if you're moving around. Also, Cleopatra was known to keep a poisoned pin in her hair just in case she had to protect herself. So she may very well have had adder's venom in her pin in her hair, and that's how she killed herself. But in either way, she was killed with venom from the asp, and she died. Now, once she died, Octavian then put Caesarian in quote-unquote charge. Mind you, he's still a very young child as regent, only until he could legally take over Egypt and make it officially a province of Rome. And so at that point, Egypt, while being very, very prosperous, became just another province. Another governor was put in power there. And essentially, the dynasties of Egypt and all of the monarchies were gone. No more pharaohs, no more queens, just a regent. And so that is essentially the story of Cleopatra. Now, I know that a lot of that was mainly through the ideas of men, but the problem is that history is written by the victor. And the victor here was clearly Octavian. He was Caesar at that point. He could do what he wanted. And he did. He celebrated his victory. He gained Egypt officially. No more pesky pharaohs or Ptolemies or anyone that could stand in his way. And he got essentially the most prosperous um, country he could possibly get his hands on. And so he was a very happy person to do so. Now, other things that happened in Cleopatra's reign were that, you know, literacy went up. She, she just brought so many innovations, as I said, to growing food and providing for her people and for scientists. She had scientists from all over come and share their ideas with nobles, with people who wanted to come there to learn. At this time, you have to remember, the library of Alexandria was still there. Um, it burned, but it was still there during her lifetime. And so education was extremely important. And so that was one thing that she truly did give to her people. So that is my story of Cleopatra today. No, it's not like the... Um, Elizabeth Taylor movie, although a lot of what I talked about is in that movie. Um, and forgive me if I forgot a few things. I know that I did. I'm doing this all from memory for the most part um, because I forgot my notes. Uh, but I hope that everyone has had a wonderful evening. Thank you for listening to me and being here with me. Um, I hope that you have a wonderful week. Next week, um, I don't know if I'll be talking about another badass female in history or if we'll go on to a different subject. I do want to kind of sprinkle these in between other things so that you guys don't get bored of me. Um, I know we talked about Boudicca and now we've talked about Cleopatra, two of my favorite women in history. Um, and I have a very long list. I've been asking people for advice on who they think I should go off of. And this series is mostly going to be posthumous. So the women I want to do, they're all dead. And the reason why I want to do that is because, again, history is written by the victor. History is written by the people in the life of that person. And a lot of these people that I've been given 
to do a series on. They're mostly people that you wouldn't have heard of if you didn't know about them. Um, Some of them, they made amazing advancements in science, in technology, in so many different fields. And so I want to do them justice where I can. So as I go along, I'm going to be researching these lovely women and I'm going to be bringing as much information about them as I can. Um, I want to be able to do justice to the subjects that I'm covering from Amelia Earhart to Florence Nightingale to Rosa Parks. Um, Now, one that I do want to do, she's still alive, but Malala, Um, just people that have made a difference in this world. So if you have any ideas, please feel free to contact me. Um, Of course, my email is cerberusmagic at gmail.com. If you have any ideas of people that you'd like me to talk about, if you have any ideas of things you don't want me to forget about with people, um, if you have any other subjects you want me to talk about. Of course, the autumn equinox is coming up and I'll have to have a show about that as well um we did just have a full moon i hope everyone enjoyed and did something for the full moon um and so i just want to remind everyone that i still will talk about other things as well um but i have a lot of wonderful women that i want to bring to everyone's attention and showcase and give them their due um and you may be wondering why i'm doing just women well to me Growing up, there weren't a lot of female role models. There were some role models, but I heard more about men. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just as a female and as an empowered female, I want to tell the stories of the women you may never have heard of. Um, I want to tell the world about people that they might not have known had changed things. People like Mary Curie or Joan of Arc. We've heard of Joan of Arc. But what about a woman who just changed a little thing that absolutely changed the world? I want to bring that into the light because we celebrate so many accomplishments for so many people. But a lot of these women... They are not celebrated as they should be. And so that's why I'm doing a series on women. Um, It started out as Badass Women of History, and it has turned into basically um, any woman in history that can be considered badass. Someone that has done something amazing for this world. Um, Someone who's done something that would have never allowed us to be how we are today. We are all influenced by the people in our past and history will repeat itself if we don't remember it. And so I just want this to be a little bit of education for, you know, things you may not actually know about the world that you live in. So like I said, if you have any ideas, please, please, please reach out to me. I will be happy to hear them. I will be happy to talk to you. If you want to come on and talk with me about someone, please do. Even if it's someone we've already talked about, we can have a segment where you come on and you talk to me about it. Because quite frankly, I'd love to know what you all have to say and what you think. Um, 
I want to hear from you. So please do reach out. As I said, you can reach me at CerberusMagic at gmail.com. I'm also on Twitter as CerberusMagic. And, of course, you can catch me on any, practically any, um, podcasting service of your choice. I hope you have a wonderful week, my lovelies. And just know that you are loved so very much, more than all the stars in the sky. Have a wonderful evening.